children to come forward and sit on the floor for our last Advent celebration, our last children's Advent devotional. This is week four, so children, come on down. And thank you for being so attentive for these past few weeks. Appreciate that very much. As I said, you guys have been really, really good. Thank you so much for coming up here each and every week. And you know, when we started off, it was back in November, which is hard to believe. And it probably felt like so long to have to wait. Doesn't it feel so long sometimes to have to wait for Christmas to come? But here we are, and we're in week four. And you can see now, finally, finally we get a chance. Uh-oh. Now that would be anticlimactic if that didn't work. Okay, there you go. Whew. Okay, we're all right. Now we finally get the chance, now that this works, to light our fourth and final candle. And that's pretty exciting because it means we are now in our fourth week and the wait is over. Today I just have one word for you that you have to guess. I'm going to give you a clue to help you figure it out. Okay, Uh, Here's your clue. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King, good job. You got it. That's your word for today. That's what I've got for you. Okay, lesson's over. You can, no, I'm just saying, that, that's not it. Um, king. King is our word for today. We've been talking about different parts of the Christmas story. We talked about the manger. We talked about uh, various different things as we, we were up here for these past few weeks. And today we're just going to talk about how Jesus is our king. And you know what? In Micah 5, 2, it says that out of Bethlehem, a ruler would come who would shepherd my people Israel. And that's quoted in the book of Matthew as well. It's a prophecy about Jesus coming. And when Jesus came, he wasn't just a baby, but he was also our king. And what's pretty neat is that he's our king right now. And and we sing about it. We actually just sang a song about that as we sang our second hymn together. I don't know if you picked that up. But what I want you guys to remember, as you guys are celebrating Christmas this week, In five days, it's going to be Christmas. Remember that the person you celebrate, this little baby that was born in a manger, is also seated right in heaven right now as our king is ruling. He's sitting on on his throne, and he's reigning over us. And I want you to think about what exactly that means. That means that as you are looking forward to all the different things that come with, with Christmas, Remember that this baby that was born is the one that we are also to serve, that we're also to believe in, that if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins, you can go to heaven and have peace with God and know that your salvation is secure forever and ever, and that this king who reigns in heaven right now is the one that is controlling everything that happens, from the planets that are in space to Uh, the earthquakes and the the rain and the snow and everything that happens on the earth, even to all the small, tiny details of your life. Not only that, but when Jesus comes back again, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that Jesus is going to come again someday. And when that happens, he's going to rule as our king forever and ever. So that's the idea I want you to remember this week. Not only do we celebrate being together with family, not only do we celebrate uh, you know, having a Christmas tree decorated and giving gifts and singing songs, but also that Jesus is our King. And the thing I want to leave with you guys this week is it's, it's come 
to be a tradition, I guess, that I've been giving out different uh, bookmarks to you as we've been concluding our series in Advent together. And the one I have for you this year says two things. It's actually um, the lyrics from the song we just sang today. It says, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, He reigns in glory now. And on the back side it says, someday He is coming, earth kings, earth's kingdom to claim, and every knee shall bow. And you'll see on here pictures of Jesus seated in heaven as King and His coming again. So when you read your Bible, or maybe some of you are a little young and you haven't gotten to that stage yet, when you learn to read and read your Bible, put this in your, in your Bible and you'll remember that your King is coming. Okay? Thank you guys so much. And I'll give some of these to the other adults who are up here. And make sure you take one before you leave. Thank you so much. You guys can take one and you're dismissed. Pastor Dave, thank you, Senior Choir. Looking forward to tonight and uh, the cantata. Hope that you'll be able to return for that. Last week, we considered the appearance of the heavenly army to the an- uh, of the angels to the shepherds, announcing that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, had come in peace. We emphasized that at Jesus' first coming, Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. We then stressed that in keeping with that idea that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, that not a single person was harmed as a result of his coming into this world. No one was killed, even those that opposed the Lord Jesus. Even Herod, when Jesus was just a a babe, When Herod was out to kill Jesus, Mary and Joseph and the babe fled to the land of Egypt until Herod had died, and then they returned. Even when the armies came to arrest Jesus in the garden, even when Jesus hung upon the cross, and when Pilate had unjustly Uh, condemned a man to death whom Pilate knew to be innocent. And though people were nailing him to the cross, Jesus prayed and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That forgiveness was not an eschatological, eternal forgiveness. He was simply praying that God would not strike them dead for this dastardly deed of crucifying the Lord Jesus. He did not come into the world in order to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. I said that he was extending to the world an olive branch, not a white flag. He was not surrendering. He was not submitting to his uh, enemies, but rather he was offering them peace. And ultimately that peace is achieved through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bore the consequences of our sin. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to pay for the penalty of sin so that we could experience peace with God. 
so that we could experience a right relationship with God. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, the man came to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Many of the Jewish people, when Jesus came to this earth, were expecting a political king. They were looking for someone that would deliver them from Rome and all of its oppression. They were expecting a king that would bring in justice and righteousness and peace. They thought that they would have an earthly ruler that would establish for them tranquility and rest. They were mistaken. Jesus had come to die on the cross. He came to be a king that would rule over our hearts and lives. But it is easy to see why they had that expectation. The scripture is filled with passages talking about Jesus' earthly rule. The Old Testament saints missed the idea of this spiritual reign of Christ in our hearts. They missed the whole concept of the crucifixion, the peace that he was going to extend towards his enemies. Much of that was a mystery to them. But we can learn because in our day and age, there's been a different confusion. There has been such an emphasis on this present kingdom over which Jesus now reigns, seated at the right hand of God the Father, that we have lost sight of the future reign of Christ here on this earth. Which is actually, which is actually the heart of the scriptures. We tend to emphasize heaven. And we talk about going to heaven. Well, there is a period of time. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we will go to be with the Lord in heaven. But that's not our ultimate and final destination. That's not where we spend eternity. That's not what the whole gospel message is about. The gospel, according to the gospels themselves, is the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. The apostle, uh, excuse me, John the Baptist came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The good news is, is the kingdom. We aren't going to just be in a disembodied state floating around in eternity. We are going to be resurrected just as Jesus came forth bodily from the tomb. Every one of us is going to come forth bodily from the grave that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That body reconsummated. And we are going to dwell on the earth. Eternity isn't going to be just one long endless worship service. We are going to dwell on the earth. It's going to be what God intended this earth to be before Adam and Eve sinned and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
we are going to experience life in the fullest sense of that word. A life much like this life, except without sin. Except without sin. We are to look forward to that kingdom. Jesus taught us to pray. That he said, after this manner pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is an appellation of what it's going to be like when that, that kingdom comes. God's will on earth is going to be done the way it is in heaven. The crucified risen Savior will return to the earth to reign. And all those who have placed their faith and trust in him will reign with him. Listen to these words from the book of Revelation. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And they shall reign on the earth. As I said, this future kingdom is described in many places in the Bible. This morning, I'm going to try something risky, and that is I'm going to try to synthesize for you two passages of Scripture, one from the book of Isaiah chapter 11 and the other from the book of Revelation chapter 19, talking about Jesus coming and establishing his kingdom. So I have two texts this morning. The first, we're going to start in Revelation 19, Uh, You might want to put your bulletin or some bookmark there because we're going to be flipping back and forth between Revelation 19 and Isaiah chapter 11. We begin by... So our theme this morning is we're going to consider major facets of Jesus' coming reign on the earth. Major facets concerning Jesus' coming reign on earth. First we're going to look at the manner of Jesus' coming, which is quite different from his first coming. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 11, we find that Jesus is going to come down out of heaven. Revelation 19, 1. Then I saw heaven opened. Jesus comes with power and authority. Symbolically, he comes riding on a white horse. Notice verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. It is Jesus riding on this white horse. And we're to see a difference in the way in which Christ came the first time and the way in which he comes the second time. His first coming, he comes as a babe. He comes lowly, lying in a manger. He comes offering peace. He comes into Jerusalem as an adult, just prior to the crucifixion, riding on a donkey, which we are told in the scripture symbolizes his meekness, his lowliness, 
his humility, his grace. This time, he comes riding on a white horse that speaks of his authority, that speaks of his power. He comes as a good king. He is described in verse 11 as one who is faithful and true. And Jesus comes to execute righteousness on this earth. End of verse 11. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. We emphasized last week that Jesus is the God-man. He is the God who took upon himself flesh. We learned last week that we beheld his glory. Glory is, all, glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we emphasized last week Jesus' grace in dying for us. Jesus' grace in the way in which he forgave sin. Jesus' grace in which he, hollered, which he offers an olive branch to all those that will put their faith and trust in him. This time, he comes and the emphasis is on his righteousness, on his justice. So in righteousness, he judges. In righteousness, he judges. There are a couple of ideas that are associated with that. The first is that his decisions will be righteous decisions. His judgments will be just Decisions. Now, if you look with me at Isaiah chapter 11, looking at verse 3, let me start at verse 1 to uh, give you the uh, context. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And now these words, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. The con there is that true righteousness, true justice, is hard to achieve. He is not going to just simply make judgment by what he sees or what he hears. I remember years ago, Suki was really little. She was, she was quite young. And uh, I found it necessary to discipline her, and I rebuked her and I spanked her. Only to find out a couple of hours later that I'd gotten it wrong. She was innocent of what I thought that she had done. It was one of the other girls that had done it. Which will remain nameless, since both of them are sitting here this morning. But... <clears throat> But on that occasion, she was faultless. Suki wasn't always faultless. But on that occasion, she was. And I felt terrible. 
Because I had accused this girl and spanked her for something that she had not done. I was seeking to be just, but I was acting upon my limited knowledge and understanding. The thought in this passage is that Jesus is going to come and he is going to execute justice. Because he's not going to simply act upon what he hears or act upon what he sees. But he is going to know the heart. He is going to know the reality. He is going to make just judgments. Jesus will execute justice and righteousness. He will fix the evils and injustices of this world. Notice Isaiah eleven four. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will bring about Fairness in the truest sense of that word. He will bring about justice. He will correct all of the injustices. The scripture says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a day coming when the meek will inherit the earth, when all oppression will cease, when all abuse will be done away with. Where every ill doing is going to be abolished. Jesus will put down all rebellion. For this time he comes not peacefully, but he comes in what is described in Revelation 19.11 as war. He judge and makes war. Jesus comes to enforce a righteous rule over all the earth. Look at Revelation 19.12. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Diadem is the word for a Persian crown. There are going to be many crowns upon his head, referring to the fact that he's going to reign over many kingdoms. He is going to be over all the kings of the earth. He will be the Lord of lords. He will be the king of kings. His dominion will be over every aspect of this earth. Isaiah 9, we heard it sung this morning by the senior choir. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The next verse, of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus comes having conquered through his death and resurrection. Revelation 19, 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The blood of the robe could be the blood of martyred saints that is being avenged. Revelation speaks of that twice. Revelation 6, 9, and 10. He broke the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Revelation 19, 2, closely related to this passage that we were in. Because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who has corrupting the earth with 
her immorality and he has avenged the blood of the bond servants on her. The blood could be the blood of his enemies. However, I think what is being referred to is the sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus. His own blood is what is on his robe. Revelation 5.9 says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book, to break its seals, for thou wast slain, and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus comes with that blood on his robe. He comes to free his people. He comes to rule over them with peace and justice and comes to put down his enemies. Jesus comes with a magnificent entourage, Revelation 19, 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Last week, I noted that the angels that appeared unto the shepherds were not a heavenly choir, they were a heavenly army. And the heavenly army was coming, and in power, in a display of force, they were saying, Jesus came in peace. When he comes again, he comes to a world that rejects him. He comes to a world that would not believe in him, would not submit to him, would not receive this offer of salvation that he made to them. And he comes with this entourage. He comes with this heavenly army and display of great power. But Jesus defeats his enemies by the power of his word. Notice Revelation 19, 15. From his mouth, that is the faithful and true one, that is Jesus on the white horse, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is not going to be a battle at all in the way that we might imagine. When Jesus Christ returns to earth and he subdues his enemies, he does it simply by his spoken word. He simply commands them and they obey. Revelation 1.16 says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in strength. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. His word. His word is powerful. In this passage, we saw that uh, on his thigh is written the word of God. The word of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus is that word of God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. The word was with God. All things came into being through him. And without him was not anything made that was, that was made. The word, the second person of the Trinity. The word of God. God 
created the heavens and the earth by his word. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke and it happened. That almighty, all-powerful God. And it's interesting that the word of God, the Bible, which is God's word to us, is also depicted in the scripture as a sword. In the book of Hebrews, it's a sharp two-edged sword, piercing and being able to divide between joint and marrow. It is a sword. In the book of Ephesians, the armor of God, the sword is the word. He will speak. He will speak. And people will submit to him. Jesus will rule in absolute authority. It states in Revelation 19, 15, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will rule them with a rod of iron. This, again, is referred to in a number of places in the scriptures. Psalm 2, verse 8 and 9, Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Isaiah 11, verse 4, if you're still there, Isaiah eleven four. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Same idea. Same idea. Trying to bring together the book of Revelation and the Old Testament. Jesus will subdue all the nations. Revelation 19, 16. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Why does he come in such awesome power? Why this putting down of his enemies? Two ideas. Justice. Justice. Sin has to be paid for. In God's grace, Jesus bore the penalty of sin for all those that would put their faith and trust in him. But if you don't place your faith and trust in him, you bear the consequences of your own sin. Jesus came offering peace to a world. And the world rejected that peace. In order to bring peace, it means that evil has to be eradicated. It has to be removed. It can't be tolerated. It can't exist. And when Jesus comes there will be perfect peace on this earth. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 and following. Such beautiful portions of scripture. Isaiah eleven six to 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fat calf together. 
and a little child shall lead them. The cow and bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play on the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. There's nothing to harm, there's nothing to be afraid of. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There will be nothing to hurt. There will be nothing to harm. All of that will have been eradicated. All of that will be removed. That is what we are looking forward to. An earth like that. And then the scripture says there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will spend an eternity living our lives on earth in perfect peace, in harmony, in joy, going about our work, going about our daily lives as God had always attended, apart from any misery, heartache, what have you. Turn with me, if you would, to yet another portion of Scripture. Psalm 2. The nations are invited to put their trust in God. Psalm 2. I'm just going to read it and just make a couple of comments as I do. Psalm 2, starting at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Okay, it's talking about earthly rulers who are rejecting Jesus' authority. Verse 3, they say, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens, that's Jesus, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. There it is again. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It is an invitation to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Kiss the Son. Make up with the Son. Receive the peace that he offers. There is a Tremendous irony that exists in our world today. Our world is looking for peace. Our world is looking for an answer to the evil. And what will bring about peace? Our world desperately, desperately wants peace. There used to be a League of Nations that was destroyed by World War II. 
And then, after World War II was over, two months after World War II ended, as a matter of fact, the United Nations was formed. And the United Nations set forth a charter. And in that charter, there are four main purposes of the United Nations. The first, to maintain worldwide peace and security. Two, develop relations among the nations. Three, foster cooperation between nations in order to solve economic, social, cultural, or humanitarian international problems. Fourth, provide a forum for bringing countries together to meet the UN's purposes and goals. To bring reconciliation to the earth. That all nations would live in peace and security. That injustices would be met, social, cultural, humanitarian. The the United Nations building is located in New York City. And amazingly, inscribed on the outside wall of the United Nations building are verses that are taken from the Bible. Did you know that? Verses from the Bible are inscribed on the outside wall of the United Nations building. Not only are they inscribed there, but but the actual reference is given. Isaiah chapter 2. This is what is inscribed on the United Nations building. And I quote, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That, to the United Nations, epitomizes what they're about. And they use Isaiah chapter 2 to describe it. They leave out some important words. Let me read to you what Isaiah chapter 2 says before and after those words. And it came to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge the nations and he shall rebuke the people. And now the quote. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore. A great utopian hope. But it leaves out the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge among the nations. He 
shall rebuke the people. Peace will not come to this earth until the Lord returns. But he's coming. Peace will reign. The lion will lay down with the lamb. All that we had hoped for is going to be accomplished by Christ's return. When we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, we really do celebrate the birth of a king. A gracious king. A king who has offered salvation to all that will believe in him and submit to his authority. A peaceful king who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But don't be fooled. That very Jesus is coming back riding on a white horse. And he will subdue the nations simply by the sword of his mouth, simply by his spoken word. People will fall before him. They will bow. They'll be brought into submission. But they'll also be ushered into a terrible eternity. They will bear their own sinfulness. So I say to you this morning, two things. One, the Lord is coming. And the scripture says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I ask you to bow and confess him before he comes. Before it's too late. Acknowledge him as your king. Acknowledge him as your Lord. And look with longing for that day that unfortunately the United Nations is never going to bring in. But Jesus will. But Jesus will. And look forward to that great hope. Our hope is an eternity on this earth living our lives in a realm of perfect justice, holiness, and righteousness with nothing to fear. Love for our neighbor, going about our work, enjoying what we are able to do. That is our eternal hope. It's not an eternal worship service of disembodied people floating around singing for all eternity. It's resurrected people brought to life, living on this earth, carrying out their work, even as was intended by Adam and Eve before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We look forward to that eternal peace on this earth. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Help us to look with expectation for the return of the Lord Jesus and this hope of peace on earth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.